0: i uh-huh. day. Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao motherfuckers, and konichiwa, bitches. I hope everybody felt included by that little bit of profanity. Thank you for listening to Abacabo Cafe. I am your host, Jason Almi, and today we are going to be talking all about Kimagure Orange Road TV episode four, entitled "Shikaruchan: The Disturbing Sea Experience. But I really think they missed a good opportunity. They should have called it uh, to see or not to see. I don't know. All these titles are all kind of wordy anyway. This episode originally aired April 27th of 1987. It was directed by Tamano Harumi and written by Tomita Sukehiro. And you can tell that uh, Terada Kenji took a week off. This really does feel like a little bit of a different episode. Um, It picks up immediately after the end of episode three. It gives you actually a little bit of a recap at the beginning. You're not going to need very many of those as we get a little deeper into the series. Because like I said, this whole uh, continuity thing with the previous episode is eventually going to go bye-bye. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a future episode. But this one picks up immediately after the end of episode three. We get a minute or so of this recap of what happened last week. Remember, they used to do that all the time. Back in the day, they used to have to recap a previous episode just in case people missed it. I mean, we didn't have Netflix and streaming services and stuff back then. So this is in large part due to the episodic nature of 80s TV. I mean, the, the episodic nature of television some decades ago was much more so than it is now. You you would not binge television back then. That was not a possibility. By and large, it was impossible to, to binge watch television. So... This is how they had to do it. They had to remind people it's been a week you, you, since you saw the last episode. Let's remind you what happened in the previous episode. And also, what if you missed the previous episode? They want the the show to be friendly for you to come in and and just hop right into an episode. So we have a little bit of this recap taking up a little bit of screen time, but that's okay. Costco's dialogue here early in the in the episode, he's just talking to himself. This is just for our information he's sort of giving us this expository info by talking to no one in particular he's not even addressing jingoro as he sometimes does very occasionally but he's just kind of telling it to the ether which happens to be us but he's not breaking the fourth wall i mean it's not it's not even a voiceover a voiceover is kind of meant for the audience right because no one's that's a non-diegetic piece of dialogue no one's hearing it they're delivering it in character That's how the voiceover works. That's the purpose of the voiceover, but it's to give us some kind of information as the viewer. We see some limits to the power here in this episode. It's kind of interesting. He's unable to use the power to fetch the milk due to his weakness. He's ill. He's sick. He's so sick. He can't transport a quart of milk from the kitchen to his bedroom. That has implications later in the episode. But his room is darker, it's more shadowy. Throughout the house even, as he gets up and walks to the kitchen, it, it makes sense. It's the middle of the night, everyone's sleeping, you're going to have the lights off. But then it's also supposed to be reflective of how he's feeling, the, the illness that he's got. He's sick, but he's also got these feelings of guilt over completely uh, spacing on his date with Shikaru. Uh, so you can see these muted tones there's less saturation and vibrance one thing that the series is really well known for is the the really like highly saturated colors they're, they're usually very bright and they pop here we have a use of uh, more muted tones obviously a lot less saturation it makes sense in the context it's also reflective of like why set the thing in the evening right well What's the importance of it being the middle of the night? Well, there's a narrative importance. Shikaru's about to show up, but also there is the, the reflection of his interior state as drawn by the artists in the rooms that he's in. Now, once Shikaru does arrive, once she's there, naturally he's going to turn lights on to welcome somebody inside his home. But as soon as she's there, it's almost like she brought the brightness with her, of course, that's due to her... The personality that she's known for, her bubbliness, her her uh, general joie de vivre, her her her, uh, her brightness that she brings to all the situations, and um, and we see that kind of turn around. He's even seeming a heck of a lot less sick as she's there. Uh, so it's kind of symbolic of of what she brings to the equation: her brightness, her energy. This episode is a tremendously important episode. Of course, it's the fourth episode, so it's still kind of early, but this is the episode where things really start to gel with the love triangle, with the three principal characters. This is really where we see things kind of set into uh, their their typical places. They're, they They fall into, I think gel is the perfect word, right? If you've studied food science, you know that that uh certain foods they they uh go from a liquid to a solid it depends on things like temperature and uh solutes and stuff like that but this is where it gels like the jello sets if you've ever made jello you know it goes in the fridge as a liquid it comes out as this um solid this gelatinous solid it's actually it's actually not a solid it's it's uh colloidal dispersion regardless you know, it comes out as this thing that you can handle. You know, it, it retains the shape of its vessel, much like a a, a solid does. And, and and we get that in this episode that that these relationships, these dynamics between the principal three, are starting to take place. And and we see that early on in this episode. And it's it's when Kasuga lies to Ichikaru about why he he missed the date. Of course, she comes over and she's extremely distressed, kind of over the top distressed, like crying and and all this shit. And there's a big part of him that doesn't know what the hell to do. um. So he's got to come up with something. And Jinguro even seems to be reacting almost as a proxy for us, the viewer. He's reacting to Kasuga's lie. He's a cat. He wasn't there. He, how would he know that is lying? But he takes on he's, he's personified in this sense he seems to have an, a, an understanding that's above and beyond a typical house cat, but he's acting as the audience proxy i mean giving him that uh, that that sort of anthropomorphic quality of, of being able to kind of like judge he's making faces like why would you why are you lying to this poor girl his reactions are are very much like a commentary on on Kasuga's, uh, behavior here in this and and the method that he chooses for for kind of uh, placating Shikaru and and uh, moving forward from uh, the rather disastrous afternoon where he stood her up and uh Jingiro even continues to watch Kasuga and Shikaru um he smiles he's like watching them almost approvingly kind of smiling wistfully at them while they fumble with the coffee you know and they're like all nervous and shit like that touching each other's hands and stuff and he's just kind of like oh aren't they cute and uh they're kind of fun interesting cutaways, particularly for my my 20 month old daughter she loves uh she loves Jingaro so there's like her highlight of her of ep- uh, the episode for her was watching Jingiro watch them and um the the lie here I, w- I was mentioning just a moment ago. This is the episode where these roles start to kind of uh, gel and they find their spots, and the, this is kind of the default that they're going to to remain in. And it really hinges on on Kasuga, the way he placates Yukato and and that he chooses to lie to her here. So why did he make up a lie about helping his dad? He's already sick as fuck. I mean, she comes over and he's he's demonstrably ill. It doesn't make sense. He can barely walk. He's like leaning on the wall. It really wouldn't be difficult to tell her that he woke up terribly ill. He doesn't have her phone number. We're talking about 1987. No one's got Facebook. No one's got instant messenger. No one. He he couldn't have DM'd her. He didn't have a cell phone. She doesn't have a cell phone. He could just as easily have said, "I, I, I looked for your number. I tried to find your number. I woke up feeling terrible. I wanted to call you and cancel but i was unable to, to find your phone number and i'm so terribly sorry and that's still a lie right and i'm not i'm i'm not trying to defend lying to one spouse or 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 significant other because it's entirely possible my my, my wife might listen to this so it's not a good thing to lie but it's closer to the truth to say that he's ill because he's ill at that moment it's also um, understandable that he wouldn't be able to contact her in the same way that we're able to contact each other in 2021 with all of our modern um, conveniences and the internet. So it doesn't make any sense that he jettisons this ready-made excuse for a lie which Ayukawa could easily expose. And I think that's another key to this episode is that the lie that he tells shikaru chan is, is one that Ayukawa could easily refute because he was spending time with her. So the lie hinges on Ayukua being complicit. Um, but, but really, you know, beyond this, giving up this ready-made excuse that's a smaller lie than I was helping my dad, because at least there's some elements of truth in the smaller lie, why does he choose to lie at all? I mean this is a key this is a kind of a pivotal moment that we don't realize maybe the first few times we've viewed the show but but if you've seen the show several times now, you probably understood that this is a pivotal moment for Coco because this is really the first time that he bullshits anybody over the course of the of the uh of the t v series but it's not going to be the last time so he could have he could have been completely like one hundred percent brutally honest he could have said that he got he got there early he got sidetracked he might even mention that. He uh accidentally encountered Ayukawa there, that she was being accosted by punks, and then a kid fell into the pond and he rescued the kid. I mean, there's like legitimate reasons why he was waylaid from meeting her. And he could have been much more truthful in telling her that. It even could have been an opportunity for him to say that he preferred being with Ayukawa. I mean, he's very early on in his relationship with Shikaru. And it's hard to it's hard to watch this and not feel like he missed an opportunity to. Early on, kind of nip things in the bud with Shikaru before things just get completely out of control. So, there's the idea, I think, on the internet, and it's possibly even propagated by other episodes of this television show, that Kossiga is something of a coward. He is just too pussy to tell Shikaru the truth here, that he lies out of convenience. And I think. I think it's more than Kasuga being a coward. I think there are scenes throughout the television series that will corroborate the popular opinion that Kasuga is cowardly at times, that he maybe shrinks from responsibility a little bit. I mean, this is all typical behavior of a 15-year-old boy, right? I'm not saying any of us were any more noble at 15. That's how that's how you are when you're a kid, and that's how you learn. And And he does learn a lot of things the hard way, but... I think it's not a, a matter of cowardice. I mean, it, it could be part of it. And experience could be part of it. I, I would definitely not, I wouldn't completely preclude cowardice, but I would also say Kasuga is a people pleaser. This is such an important thing to understand about his character. It's not that he's weak, although it can be perceived as weakness. It's not that he's a coward, although sometimes he does act out of uh, kind of cowardly self-preservation, but th- this is uh, ultimately he has a really hard time saying no to people. He really doesn't. I mean, that's why anytime Chicago Chan wants something from him, she shows up at his house crying that night. And he, of course he lets her in, here's some coffee. What's going on? Let me talk to you. Let me try to, because he, he feels intense guilt that she's crying she's in this emotional duress this state and he's the cause because he stood her up and he has a very hard time with that i happen to really identify very very strongly with this aspect of kosuga and it's it is something that in my own life has caused some conflict for me as well in much of the same way that it does for kosuga because it is very hard to be the bearer of bad news it is very hard to tell people no i can't do this or no, I'd rather do something else or I'd rather date someone else. I mean, it's never been like that in <laughs> dating, but but it is very difficult for me personally to do things that are going to upset people. It's, it's, I, I see that in Costco when I'm watching. And then I'm going to come up with many more examples as we move through the series about how he gets himself into trouble for just not having... And it does take a lot of... When you're a people pleaser, it takes a lot of maturity to be able to set your own boundaries, to say no, to reschedule things, to push things back. It's very, very difficult. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight those when they occur because Casca does get himself into a little bit of trouble. I mean, this is why he tells Shikaru he that lie. Part of it was he doesn't want to get busted. Another part of it is because Ayuko already knows the truth. So it's not a matter of concealing it from her. Part of why he lies to Shikaru at this point, a big part of why he lies to Shikaru at this point is because he is a people pleaser. He is made, He's made very uncomfortable by the knowledge that Shikaru is in this distressed emotional state because of him. And so he wants to reverse that. He wants to get her out of the, the uh, emotional state that she's in, and he's going to do so more than once in this episode, mind you, by telling her what she wants to hear and maybe getting himself in a little bit deeper by doing that. This is also interesting because this is like the first time that he and Chicago have actually spent any time together. This is like their first real conversation. I wouldn't count the disco from from the previous episode very much because they didn't really have a conversation. If you've ever tried to talk to somebody in a loud environment, it's not possible. It's easier to do that over a cup of coffee like here. And they they really just kind of exchange a few words and dance. So disco doesn't really count. This is kind of the first time they've actually started to uh, get to know each other a little bit. Uh, before that, they were colliding in the hallway. Casca has no idea what Chicago is going on about with the Darling stuff. He, he's been confused by the whole thing until now. It's the first time for them to actually sit down and chat. And so I think that this is also an important scene because this is the first time where Casca is really... I think he's finding some common ground. They're able to talk all night. And um, he did find her attractive when he was dancing with her in the previous episode. But I think here he begins to connect with her a little bit more on a personal level. And she's clearly charming. And he and Costco clearly finds her attractive when she's around. And she's kind of out of sight, out of mind when she's not around. But during his time with her, he often remarks that, wow, she really is cuter than I thought, or wow, this is really, uh, he enjoys it more than he, he imagined he would, or, or she's just not on his mind until he, they start hanging out. Now, Shikaru is, of course, much more assertive. She pursues Kasuga. She's easier for him to anticipate. I mean, he knows he, she's going to be high energy. She's not like Ayukawa. She's not Kimagure like Ayukawa is. So her mood is a lot more, it's high level, but it's a lot more even. So I think on the one hand, that makes her a little bit more appealing in terms of she's assertive. She's going after him. She's very open about how she feels about him. And she's this known quantity. He he kind of knows what he's going to get when he spends time with her. But I think that also has a flip side to make a, her a little less appealing because she's a little less of an adventure. Like spending time with Ayukawa for Casca is, you don't know what you're going to get. It is going to be a little bit like an adventure because who knows where this ride goes with, with Shikaru, he knows what he's in for. Uh, she's really, and Shikaru, another thing for, that goes very well for her is that she's consistently always very pleasant towards him. She's always very pleasant. There's no doubt that she likes him. So I think that these are all things that go in her benefit in Costco's book. I mean, I think that this is kind of a pivotal scene where Casuga does think maybe he'd like to see a little bit more of Shikaru. It's, he really did not consider dating her before now even if on paper. We get some diegetic music here. I know last episode I mentioned non-diegetic music. We get some diegetic music here, right? We need background music for the scene, where they're having coffee together, and that could just as easily have been done with just background music, non diegetic background music. But here, we actually see an animated sequence of Kasuga, uh I think he puts a tape in a tape player, or he starts the radio. But he's got a, a, a deck, a tape deck, and he's he starts music. It actually shows the the hand doing the thing, operating the device, and then the music begins. So this is actually music that the characters can hear. It's not just for the audience. It serves a dual purpose. It's music that's that's naturally. Planned. Playing as they chit-chat over coffee, but then it's music that we hear as well that helps to set the tone for that scene. And despite his attraction to Shikaru that I, that I just mentioned, and as well as the opportunity after they're served coffee, everybody goes to sleep. Even Jinguro got tired of chaperoning and he passes out. Koska doesn't lay a finger on Shikaru. That is, I think, in contrast with a more opportunistic character like Komatsu Probably would have seized the opportunity to do something sexual, but Kosaka doesn't. Again, he—I think—he was aware. You know, he there's that moment where he realizes that he's got a girl in his room, and it it shows Shikaru from his point of view, and um, he very much notices her femininity there. And and the, the animation accentuates that by kind of showing her sitting there and she's obviously wearing shorts so her legs are visible, et cetera. So th- there's that point of view that's from Costco's point of view that is meant to frame her very much as like, there's a young girl sitting on my bed and it's the middle of the night. So he realizes the opportunity. He's not completely oblivious to that, but he does, he he resists the biological urge he either knows that he's not that into Shikaru and he doesn't want to take advantage knowing that he's he'd really prefer Ayukawa or he's adhering to social mores that discourage sexual activity for minors. He's being a good boy, basically. Or he doesn't want Ayukawa to find out that he did something sexual with Shikaru, which means he's a pleasure delayer. Or maybe some combination of the three. Probably it's some complex combination of the three that prevents him from making any type of sexual moves on Shikata here. And so he's sort of delaying the pleasure a little bit. And I think that's an important aspect of his characterization that comes here too. Like he had a chance. This is probably one of the better chances he's going to get for the duration of the television show. And yet he does not capitalize and it's not a failing to capitalize. It's not that he tried to capitalize and, and didn't manage to do so. It is that even realizing that it is a situation he could take advantage of, he understands that it may not be to his benefit and that he wants to abstain. And again, I have to wonder, WTF are the GD parents. Kosaka's dad is supposedly outworking. My pet theory is that he's boning the dentist. We'll get to that in a later episode, but I think I think Takashi's out there like uh, whining and dining and possibly 69ing with that dentist. But shikaru's parents i mean she's got a mom and a dad we see well we hear them later in the in the series and she speaks about her dad in the uh movie on but the 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 fact is uh your kid who is barely a teenager what is shikaru in this in this episode is she 13 is she 14 she's young she's out all night god knows where i don't understand it as the father of a daughter myself this type of shit is terrifying. It didn't bother me in the 90s when I first watched this show, but I got a daughter now. I imagine she's 14 and she's staying out all night. I'm killing somebody. So I'm going to get a charge for something. This is a Sunday night. She stays out all night and the next morning is Monday. I don't understand. I don't get it. She might have lied. She might have told her parents she was going to Iyuka or whatever, but still, like parents should be double-checking that shit, and it's for this reason. I don't know, man. I don't know about Bill Gates microchipping everybody. I'm going to microchip my daughter. That's happening. And any of the kids I have, they're getting microchipped. I'm watching you all from the satellite. Next, we got Kurumi's big mouth kicking off the conflict for the episode. In this case, it's sort of her naivety. She's thoughtlessly opening her mouth and, and putting something out there that she's not phrasing correctly. And because of, of kind of her naivety, she presumes that people are going to know what she means. I don't think she's trying to stir up shit. She might be trying to stir shit up here but i didn't i i i get i really just knowing kurumi's character from having seen the show so many times i get that it's i feel more like it it's her not understanding how her words are coming across and not fully explaining things and then other people making assumptions that seems to be more thematically in line with the show versus kurumi is just kind of evil sometimes and really likes to f with her, her brother it seems more consistent with her personality she, it's why she can't keep the power a secret either. It's not like she's trying to expose the power when she does so. Like the last time they had to move because she ran the 100 meters in one second flat or whatever the case was. It's more like her naivety. She doesn't think about how others will perceive her, her actions, her words, her behaviors, et cetera. So I think this was well-meaning you know, she's kind of chaotic in, in in introducing this conflict, but I think it's ultimately well-meaning of Kurumi, and it's not uh, it's not malicious on her part. But, of course, the female cath- uh, classmates think that Shikaru is sleeping with Kazuga, and it's, it's kind of fun how they simultaneously judge her for doing so. They're like, oh, my God, that's so naughty. But then in the very next breath, maybe the same breath, they express this envy, that they're jealous that she's having this opportunity, that she's having this... Um, uh, this I don't know if it's if they're jealous of just the, the physical sexual activity or like that she's at this intimate level with another human, and another uh, she's got a boyfriend or something like that. But they they they're they're balancing like in on one hand they're 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 judgy. That's sort of the uh, the older generation speaking through them. You're not supposed to do these type of things. But then the the youthful side of them, that part of them that feels that like. Youthful hormones, teenage hormones, and, and 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 rebelliousness is also saying, like, damn, I'm jealous. Komatsu delivers this nice backhanded uh, compliment when he tells Kasuga, you don't look like much, but you're actually a stud. Importantly, Kasuga here is still in the doghouse with Ayukawa from the ending of the previous episode when she left, upset with him that he had a date with Shikaru and he stood her up. I wonder if Ayukawa is mad at Casago on Chicago's behalf, knowing that Shikato would be upset that Casago stood her up, or if she's mad at Casago because he's really supposed to be hanging out with Chicago and that made her jealous in that instant that he, oh my gosh, I was supposed to be on a date with Chicago today. And she's like, what? That's not what I wanted to hear. So my my thought is probably the latter. I think it it was... Less of Ayukawa being protective of Shikaru's feelings and more of Ayukawa being miffled that Kasuga even had a date to begin with with Shikaru because she feels that possessiveness towards him. His lie to Shikaru about helping his dad seems to have fed into Ayukawa's cynical views of men. She has that line about how men lie when it's convenient for them um again that the lie is expedient for Katsuuga it's going to help him get something that he wants he's being a typical self-serving male here and it, as we kind of pan through this scene with with Ayukawa and Shikaru on the roof you get this close up as the camera kind of pans across and you have this establishing shot of them on the rooftop you see this close to the camera, smushy kind of partially deflated soccer ball. And it symbolizes Ayuko's current outlook or feelings regarding Kasuga. He's let her down. He's just kind of this like, pfft. she's, she's feeling a bit deflated in, in her faith in him. Cause he's this liar. Now it's this mushy, sad thing. Ayukawa is facing away from it's behind her. She's looking the other direction, but Shikaru notably, she playfully picks it up and, she almost seems to cradle it first, and then she's tossing it up and catching it, playing with it uh, from hand to hand uh, across her arms, kind of joyful, almost rather joyfully playing with this thing. So it's something that Ayukawa—it's this object that Ayukawa is currently disregarding because it doesn't meet her standards—but uh, Shikaru is like, "Look, this is fine. I'm 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 having a perfectly good time with this soccer ball." Shikaru is able to have a perfectly good time with the with this deflated soccer ball, and then she tosses it over to Ayukawa. For Ayukawa to reconsider, and I think that is meant to be uh, sort of symbolic of their back and forth during that conversation, and that maybe there are things about uh, Kasuga that Shikata is able to appreciate the way Ayukawa does, or maybe Ayukawa realizes she's being a little overly cynical as well. Um, but we we don't know for certain, and, it, and it's tough to say for certain because uh, we we get a cut to the next scene before we before we get to see any of Ayukawa's inner monologue. And in this next scene, I think we see a little bit of Shikaru's manipulation of Casca. He asks her about the rumors that are going around school, if she's heard them. He implies that it bothers him that the whole school is spreading these falsehoods about them. And then she immediately returns with something along the lines of, so you don't like me after all. His liking her is not connected to his disliking the entire school, assuming that he slept with her and grilling him about it. I think anybody would be uncomfortable when the entire school is looking at you. The reaction, her reaction is a little bit overboard. She already starts in with the the you know the pouty lip type of, of treatment. And I think that her reaction puts him on his heels a little bit. He's got to try to walk that back. And he does that by paying her a little bit of a compliment. He calls her cute here. And she's thrilled to hear that. That's exactly what she was was shooting for. And she goes from being pouty lip on the verge of tears to throwing her arms around him. Yippee. Kosaka can no longer handle the stress. He remembers that he was gravely ill 16 hours earlier. It's funny. He's like a uh, deathly ill. He can't even levitate the milk. And then the next day he's fine to go to school until he just becomes overwhelmed. Even Shikato's not helping him out. Wouldn't it be nice if she would also help to dispel some of these rumors? Hey, we didn't sleep together. But no, she's like, yeah, it's good. Now they recognize us as an established couple because they think we're boning. Kasuga, when he passes out, he has a dream about Ayukua, which is, again, this shouldn't be anything new. This has happened three times. This is the third dream he's had about Ayukua so far in four episodes. He's had three dreams featuring Ayukawa that we know of as the audience. And again, the dream, similar to the beginning of the show when all the lights were off in the apartment, it's got these dark, dull tones. Lots of blues and grays are predominant because he and Ayukua are wearing their school uniforms, which are like charcoal and gray. And then there's the, the the dark kind of navy blue background. And it just feels all foreboding. And I think that's, that is that is the animation expressing. Animation is just a really great media for, it's a great medium for this level of expressiveness. This is where the visuals mirror what the character is feeling and experiencing. There's no background detail in the dream, of course. It's just this kind of this... Um, Really dark skyscape and this kind of dark ground or floor. It sort of denies the sense of realism. It doesn't place them in any specific location like a a home or abacabo or school or anything like that. They're just kind of like in his subconscious. And so the obvious context of the dream is that he's worried that Ayukoa also believes that he slept with Shikaru. But also, as a product of uh, Kasago's own subconscious, this dream has. Uh, to function as his own reassurance. He's he's sort of re- reassuring himself vis-a-vis the dream. The dream ends with him explaining things, wait, Iyukua, cool, let me explain, and then they embrace at the end of the dream just prior to him waking up, which implies that she's not out of his reach if he could just get her to listen, and that's going to inform his next tactic, his next move in this in this episode. Manami kind of almost deus ex machina-like solves Casuga's rumor concerns. Somehow she's just able to address a large portion of the student body and explain and everything's okay now. She sort of hand waves that particular um, conflict of this episode away and that's why I say it's sort of deus ex machina-like. Kurumi uh, uses the power to force Casuga to drink the egg sake after he's... I guess he's made it home somehow, he's ill, he's in bed, and he's worse than before. He's worse than the day before because he went to school or whatever. And he he had to face all the stress and stuff of the whole school thinking that he boned somebody. And in in my opinion, Kurumi here using the power to force Casca, force this egg sake down Casca's throat is an excellent use of the power in this show, in my opinion, because in this episode, throughout this episode, the power is there, it's prevalent, but it doesn't create nor does it solve any of the conflicts of this episode. Uh, Unlike later episodes, the the conflict in in some later episodes wouldn't be possible without the power or the resolution wouldn't be possible without the power. Here, you could take the power completely out of this episode and still have a very similar episode. So I I like that the power here is like the 80s music or the aesthetic that makes uh, Orange Road so great. It's a nice embellishment, but it's not necessary. I mean, they could have held him down the two of them and plugged his nose and just dumped the egg sake in him if they wanted to go that route and and not have the powers. This, this to me is a good, it, it like adds to the vibe without dominating too much. And we, we will have stories later in the in the series that lean on the power much more. But but this one I think is nice. It's it, They found the right balance in this episode with the power. Kasuga, of course, does manage to call Ayukawa on the phone. And... We get a kind of rare peek. This is at least an early peek into her her living space. I think we got an epi- uh, we I think we got a moment in um, maybe episode two where she's going to light a cigarette. But you don't see very much of her room. She's just kind of sitting on the bed. You get to see a little bit of the background. You don't get a lot of detail here. You get to see her even talking to uh, her teddy bear. For Christ's sake, it's not the room of a delinquent, right? So Kasuga, just like in his dream, he does finally get the chance to explain to Ayukawa. He gets the chance to say what's on his mind, but it doesn't go like his dream. She hangs up on him, in fact. So I think what he's learning here, the lesson for him to take away, is that excuses aren't the way to go. is not about to hear the excuses. She don't want to hear it. Here, Kasuga is uh, having a coffee with Shikaru the next day, apparently. And she and, and... Kasuga actually seemed to bond a little bit over over Ayukawa of all things. Uh, Shikaru has this recollection of uh, young Ayukawa getting her pendant back from this bully kid, and she holds the pendant out. And you notice that it's uh, heart shaped and that, uh, like many hearts, it's red. It's 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 colored red. And then this this flashback sequence that we see, everything is tinged red throughout the flashback, varying um, varying degrees varying hues of red and Shikata-chan says this pendant is filled with my memories of Ayukawa and it's almost as if we're viewing the the memory through the through the pendant i mean it's it so the the, the color of the recollection the color of the pendant are very much connected and that's a, the artistic choice that they made for this recollection is to to connect it with this physical item that in in Shikata's life is connected with this memory and with Ayukua and the reason that she admires Ayukua so much and uh despite kosuga being still pretty ill he's able to um lift a steamroller i don't know a large piece of construction equipment when ayuko is being accosted by these two dudes as if she hasn't proven in two previous episodes that she can handle a couple of guys she's just going to like roundhouse kick them to the face and she would be fine but i think importantly Early in the episode, he's too sick to get the milk. He's got to actually get up and physically get it. He can't levitate a quart of milk. But by the end of the episode, he's still sick. He's still ill. He might be a little bit better now after the egg sock and a night of sleep. He's still ill. He's collapsing after he does it, but he's able to lift a large piece of construction equipment when he sees that Ayukawa is in trouble here. So this is building on something I mentioned in the previous episode where left on his own... He's kind of unremarkable, but Ayukawa becomes a tremendous motivator for him to step it up. To put it simply, he's able to accomplish it a little bit more when he feels like it's important to her to do so. And she doesn't know that he was levitating that, that giant piece of construction equipment, of course. But the idea that he has the opportunity to help Ayukawa out, it's all it takes for him to find the strength to lift a several ton piece of construction equipment. That's all good. And then we end the we end the episode. I think these episodes are going kind of opposite, right? Uh the first episode, Ayukawa ends not so happy with Kosago. They they're not in a good spot at the end of episode 1. But at the end of episode 2, they're buds again. They're friends again. They they end episode 2 in a very um very friendly way and they're both looking out the window, hanging out together. And then episode three, of course, does not end very well, just like episode one. So it's like the odd episodes. Ayuquas is ending the episode upset with Kasuka. Kasuka's in the doghouse, and he's thinking, oh, shit. This episode, like episode two, it's an even episode. So they end in an all right spot. And Kasuka decides to enjoy a quiet moment with Ayukawa, which I think means something to her, that he's just able to chill with her. He's not trying to convince her of something. He's not blowing smoke up her ass or accosting her like these other men in her life do. He's just kind of respecting her space. He's respectful of the conversation they had on the phone the night before. She doesn't want to hear any BS. She doesn't want the, the excuses that whatever he's going to tell her to, to weasel out of the situation is something that is going to confirm her, her, cynical outlook on men as being self-serving as being only interested in uh getting with her physically etc so i think kosuga makes the wise decision to just kind of hang out with her just uh be a companion there not really say anything they're cool and kind of acts a little bit more like a like a grown man here and i think that that moves things forward moves the needle a little bit with ayuko up and again, this is an important episode because we have seen the love triangle dynamic between these three principal characters. These are our three main characters, and, and we're seeing their interrelationships begin to gel. Shikaru and Kasuga in this episode uh, become a recognized couple by the entire school. All of their peers are recognizing that Kasuga is dating Shikaru, and they're together. Whether or not they slept together at Kasuga's place, they're together. We also see that Ayukawa is withholding part of herself from her best friend who she's known for years and years. She stood outside of this bully's house in the rain to get a pendant back for Hishikaru. But now, in favor of Kasuga, she is withholding the truth from Shikaru. She, she does not tell Shikaru importantly, pivotally in this episode, that when Kasuga stood her up, he was not with his father helping him with work, he was hanging out with her. And um, I think that's important because more and more, Ayukawa is going to hide, withhold this part of her that feels something for Kasuga and this part of her that wants very much to engage with Kasuga socially, romantically, go on dates with him, spend time with him. She's going to withhold that from Shikaru because... Obviously, it would be very upsetting for Shikaru. And so Ayuko is sort of trying to to juggle things. Kasuga is trying to juggle things a little bit too because he largely deals with Shikaru by trying to placate her, by trying to tell her what she wants to hear because he's a people pleaser and he really does not have the skills at this point in his life to set these boundaries in a mature fashion, right? That's what adults do. And he's 15, so... He's not an adult. He he's not able to do that. And honestly, that is gonna seem that is gonna seem weak, I think, to viewers. And I think that's where a lot of criticism towards Casca comes from, is that people view him as cowardly. He's being a pussy or a pansy because of this. And he gets that. And 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 I think some of that is justifiable, but we should also be compassionate towards him because he does have this people pleaser disease. I'm with him in that. And then um Kazunga is, while he's kind of dealing with Shikaru, trying to placate her and not rock the boat with her, he's trying to gauge Ayukawa's feelings and get closer to her and spend time with her and get to know her. And so we have this, this dynamic now that I think comes into place in this episode, and then we're going to see it carry through for the remainder of, of the series. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode. I really appreciate you guys. I've heard a lot of uh, lovely feedback from people who have listened. And uh, I, I just really appreciate everybody who has done so. I want to encourage everybody, please subscribe to this podcast. Please leave us a review. I love seeing the reviews. So please leave us some reviews. That's going to help with our discoverability in the various podcast apps and players. And it'll help other podcast listeners determine whether or not this is one that they want to listen to when they see a glowing five-star review so please leave me a review please subscribe to the podcast also please go check out innercirclepn.com to hear the other fine podcasts of the inner circle podcast network podcasts like simmons and more hashtag no offense failing hollywood The Untrained Eye, Plunge Podcast, and The Hood Diner. You can hear my other podcast, Shit Happens When You Party Naked. It's a hilarious comedy podcast. It is too raw for the general internet, so I had to move it behind a paywall at Patreon. But you can support Team Alme Studios at patreon.com slash Team Alme, A-L-M-E. That's my last name. There's a link in the show notes as well. So please check us out. Uh, I very much appreciate you guys listening to this episode. And I want to leave you with I found a very fun night of summerside cover that I'm going to leave you guys with. Let's see. Oh, there we go. All right, I'll leave you guys with this. <laughs> Oh, yeah.